0: Let the singers sing and let the dancers dance. Those are wise words, but one of the most difficult things for digital entrepreneurs to embrace because we tend to be jacks of all trades. When you build an online business, when you build a side hustle, typically speaking, you build each aspect of that business yourself and you gain new skills and new appreciation for the way things work. And I believe that is an essential part of the digital entrepreneurs the curiosity to want to learn about all of the different mechanisms that make online business happen but at some point in the growth of your business there are going to be there's going to be the time when you spending time on one activity or another is counterproductive because somebody else could do that job more efficiently, more economically, and probably way better than you can. And that's the entrepreneur's dilemma, is it not? Is most of us that end up kind of hitting a glass ceiling end up doing so, not because of any outside influence, but because of our own inability to be able to give up control, to be able to give over control of one aspect of our business to somebody else. For me, when I look at, when I think about my own business and letting the singer sing and the dancers dance, one of the most difficult things that I have to give up is writing. And I don't believe I'm a good writer. I'm not an efficient writer. It's a struggle for me to write. So I often <laughs> end up going down the pathway of looking for somebody else to do the writing for me. Looking for a to hire a copywriter or a ad writer, somebody to help me with that side of the business. And invariably, well, I shouldn't say invariably. Often I end up frustrated, but I recognize that others can do a better job of this than me. And herein is the genesis of this week's episode of Gray Matters is I'm jealous of the skills that I can't do well in others. The one skill that I wish I could, if I was a singer, I wish I could dance. If I was a dancer, I wish I could sing. As a communicator, I wish I could write better. I really do wish I could write better. Um, And I think it's a shame when people who can write well Don't embrace it and don't run with it. So that is the genesis of this week's episode. And the theme of this week's episode is writers, being a writer. And I have a great interview coming up with you. One of the more talented writers that I know, a person who I respect, her ability to write blog posts, copy, and even books. And we're going to talk about the art of writing. My motivation in this week's episode is to encourage those of you who have the ability to write but maybe aren't embracing that ability, especially when you're transitioning into your own online business, is taking on and learning the techniques, learning the the craft of writing, and paying a little bit more attention to that, I believe. That if you are starting out an online business, all of your experience and assets are all wonderful tools that help us build an online business. But if there's one tangible tool that I wish I had uh, a better version of in my toolkit, it is writing. So today we're going to be talking about that. Writing, all forms of writing with my good friend Vicki McLeod. That is coming up today on Gray Matters. Steve dotto here how the heck you doing this fine day welcome to gray matters the podcast for baby boomers and gen x who are interested in online business we are interested in finding our place in the digital age in this podcast you'll learn about online marketing community building social networking and more all from our perspective the world's changing our prospects are changing the job market is not interested in us anymore and many of us face a reluctant retirement, and that is not cool. We need to take our years of experience and put it to work for us, a side hustle or online business of our own. We need to develop mad skills to adapt and evolve in order to thrive in this digital age. I can help, I want to help, and this podcast will help. It wasn't that long ago that I was struggling to transition from my former career in traditional broadcasting into online business. There were lots of bumps and bruises along the way, but I'm here to say it is a fantastic and worthwhile journey. I am glad you found us. And I got to tell you, Rachel, Rachel Moore, uh, weather is spring is sprung here in Vancouver. Have, have as this, are you still getting snow in the mountains there? <laughs>
1: it's interesting you asked that yes we actually got about three or four inches of very wet heavy snow on uh, a couple of days ago and it's snowing in the mountains apparently and and yet my allergies are blossoming
0: so. yeah <laughs> winter winter chicken dinner we right. uh this the cherry blossoms this is a great time my spirit soars. as soon as in Vancouver the cherry blossoms come out at, at this time of year and the and we get the fragrance in the air and it's mm. uh, and often it's still rainy and miserable but no we've got like a solid week of sunshine. So everybody's, everybody's Aww. spirits are shifting, but we'll see because we're also in the middle of massive COVID vaccinations. So people are all, we're all over the map as far as, you know, who's getting done and what's getting done. And people are kind of just wondering what, what normal is going to look like and when we're going to get back to it. But the weather's telling it, the weather's inviting us outside right now. That's for sure.
1: I've gotten the first of two of my vaccinations, which I'm very, very thankful for. I got it. my first
0: one too. Which one did Sweet. you get?
1: Uh, I am Team Moderna, Moderna, or however you say. So you don't
0: it. have the AstraZeneca in the states. I got the AstraZeneca here in Canada.
1: Yeah. No, I think I think our we're Pfizer or, and I'm saying it wrong. Moderna, I think it's yeah. probably the right way. And and of course, J and J is on the shelf at the moment. But yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, but did you? Um, it was funny. I was telling the person who stuck my arm. Uh, apparently, someone developed. Uh, it's like Hogwarts houses, but they're symbols for which vaccine you get. (laughs) So, you know, and I did look up an article that talked about how people are kind of making it a competitive thing. And, you know, it's, you know, hey, if that gets people shots, sweet.
0: Well, what say we turn our mind from uh, from the pandemic onto things that are a little bit more interesting or a little bit more engaging or that we have a little more control over, such as what's happening in the world of social media and online marketing. So what's your top story this week?
1: Well, uh, surprisingly, it's about Facebook. I know, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but we've talked in prior episodes about, you know, Facebook's trying to do this whole push about, Hey, we are here to help small businesses. And, you know, we've all, I think any of us who run any Facebook pages or ads, uh, are experiencing the big, you have, your forced migration into Facebook business or Facebook suite, um, mm-hmm. to manage those. Um, but here's something interesting that this seems like a positive development. So, uh, basically Facebook's rolling out this thing where it'll help. Uh, people in their newsfeed as they're scrolling discover businesses they've not uh, viewed before on Facebook. So I think the idea is that as you scroll through and, and maybe you tap on like yesterday I saw, and I usually don't do this, I saw like a really pretty dress. So I was like, oh, that's pretty. And I actually did tap on the post and whatever. But now that Facebook, of course, has logged that activity, um, I am probably going to start seeing Facebook business pages now in my feed that say, hey, they have similar stuff to what you just clicked. And it's specific about business pages. So if you have a Facebook page for your business, you could more likely be appearing in someone's newsfeed without even trying to do an ad toward them or anything. So they're trying to make that discoverability appear kind of more organically and naturally. And of course, this leads to data sets they're gonna start gathering.
0: Facebook cannot help but screw us. Yes. it's it's in their DNA. So here's, here's what I immediately goes to. Here's what immediately goes to me. I cultivate a following that's interested in my business, in a topic mm-hmm. in my business. Facebook discovers that they're interested in that business. So what do they do? They go and they share other people's businesses to the people who I've cultivated. There you See, go. this is the thing. Mm-hmm. They, they cannot get out of their way.
1: Yeah. I know. It's like they, oh, we're going to help. And it like,
0: yeah. Isn't yes, this a but great but It's idea?
1: not going to help is, everybody.
0: <laughs> this is great for everybody, except for the person who spent tens of thousands of dollars with you mm-hmm. cultivating their, the loyalty of you to this brand. Oh, yes. Oh, Facebook. Well, well, the, uh, interesting, if you want to talk about Facebook since 2016, how much would you think if you were to guess how much Facebook has grown in the United mm. States since 2016, how much, what percentage of, how much oh. growth would you say there is?
1: Um, in the United States, and especially in those last four years, I would probably say maybe I'm actually going to go kind of conservative, 15%, 20%? You
0: are so wrong that you're practically the mayor of Wrongville.
1: <laughs> I'll take that. What? Why am I wrong?
0: Because it's zero. Oh.
1: Since 2016,
0: Facebook has grown 0% as far as the number of users in the United States. Now, there's wow. been new people come in, but there's people drop off. There's a recent, there's a new Pew research survey, which is my top story, uh, of American social media use, which really translates into some of the rest of the world, but specifically for the U S um, and it is fascinating. Older people are starting to follow Facebook more, but younger people are falling off of Facebook. Uh, interesting, you know, kind of some of the interesting numbers that Pew research has come up with is big winner. Which one? Who's the big winner? TikTok. Uh, no, YouTube.
1: Oh uh, well, it's video, so it's I was video. only a YouTube, little. YouTube
0: in in the U.S. eighty one percent of people report using YouTube. That's up eight percent year over year. Wow. And the only other platform that's growing that kind of significance is uh, is is um, Reddit.
1: That TikTok kind of makes is me happy. growing,
0: and the TikTok numbers. To be fair, because I know you're a TikTok fan. I am. The TikTok numbers, uh, this is the first year that Pew has included TikTok, so we don't have a good snapshot of TikTok. It may well be it may well be the superstar, but we don't know at this particular point. But what but, but but the the number that just hit me in the between the eyes is that Facebook has been flat. That's not to say Facebook is not significant. That's not to say Facebook no, that's not to say people are not using Facebook, but it is not growing this flat line. And this this is the reason that we see Facebook making the sorts of moves that you mm-hmm. that you were just talking about earlier. Um, demographics plays a big role in in use of social marketing. No surprise, Pinterest, 9 to 16 percent of men, but 46% of women say that they're using Pinterest. Racially, Instagram, Hispanic Americans, 52%, 49% mm-hmm. black, and 35% white. WhatsApp, though, is 46% of Hispanic Americans, but 23% black Americans, only 16% white. Interesting. Education, of course, plays a big role in one particular one, which is LinkedIn which 51% of the adults have a bachelor or advanced degree. Mm -hmm. Uh, But only 10% of people on LinkedIn have a high school diploma or less.
1: Oh, interesting. Yep, that's that's important.
0: That is a concerning statistic as far as I'm concerned. Mm That uh, ten, that that the fact that you know we're, we're creating a chasm there that that, yep. that 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 should be a lot of concern, and um, there you know the of course the growth of the sixty five plus crowd and the old, older crowd has been significant on almost all platforms except Snapchat, Twitter, and TikTok, which uh, the sixty five percent sixty five year an older crowd Snapchat two percent no surprise there, no. Twitter seven percent big surprise there. And TikTok four percent is what they have right now. Yeah, I'm surprised with how little the Twitter engagement is with the 65 plus crowd, especially considering what we just come through with Trump and with how much how much he was using the platform. Yeah. Uh, so that engagement in the older crowd uh, surprises me.
1: Yeah, I'm not terribly surprised at that. I mean, Twitter is still very niche and. I, you know, I think the big thing I hear from people who aren't on Twitter and I, most people I know are not on Twitter. And I know that's very anecdotal, but um, but it's they don't get it. You know, they're like, well, eh, I don't get why, well, you know, it's so short, you know, and I don't I don't understand. And and even though, yes, and politicians for sure have taken way more to Twitter. And that's where you can get that instant kind of feel like, hey, I, I'm hearing straight from this person. But uh, but I mean, you think about it, there are a ton of people out there who just. They, they kind of just watch the news on their TV or something or, and then they don't dive into the rest of it on social. Mm -hmm. Like they don't try to dig, you know?
0: Fair point. The one that strikes me the most in is, is if we look kind of long-term at the numbers, you know, if you were to do this same study in the 1960s, you'd be talking about the percentage of houses with television versus the percentage of houses with radio. Mm-hmm. And you probably have a percentage somewhere around 95% radio and, you know, 50 to 60% houses with television in, in the 60s. Yeah. 70s, of course, it starts to shift more towards television. The number that sticks out to me of of, of, of the other ones uh, that, that Pew shared is in the 19 to 29 year range, YouTube use is 95%. I know you just mouthed "wow," and so I, which they could not hear. In, in, in they might in, have heard on the this, podcast. It yeah. was
1: very yeah. I I, I, I was starstruck. Sorry, wow. So <laughs> that is
0: that to me. So think about this. Now it, this is not this is it, so the the world, the social world, is YouTube's to lose, because if they're using it in 19 to 29, they're going to have to stop using it for some reason for YouTube in 30 years not mm-hmm. to be the most dominant distribution platform and yeah. the most dominant discovery engine when we consider
1: it that way. You know, that's think about that though too. You and YouTube has a community feature on channels where you can do posts, you can do social type of posts, right? But hardly anybody digs into those. It's all about watching a video live chats if it's you know super chats and all that stuff if you're having a live video but then commenting and stuff like that it's it's such a different way to engage than like say facebook where it all is all posts and threads and comments and stuff so i find that really interesting as far as like a trend that that we're seeing where people like leaving that over there i like to just ingest from the video and you know then I'd like to know what what happens next to them. You know, where do they take any of that engagement? Is it, do they go talk about and share the YouTube links and share it with their friends and stuff? But that's really okay. interesting.
0: And YouTube, I mean, YouTube obviously faces some real challenges as they become more and more relevant in this space is how do they grow that discussion engine? How do they grow the conversation mm-hmm. engine? How do they grow the social side of the platform? But as far as discovery, as far as authority, YouTube is YouTube has it all. You know, YouTube, as I say, they've they've been given, they've been handed the golden keys. So yeah. let's see how they run with it and how they, uh, what they do with it.
1: Well, and Steve, I mean, for anyone listening, I think if you don't have a YouTube channel for your business, uh, go mm. get it, do it. I mean, there's, I, I, you know, and I, I've been working with that a little bit lately too, where, you know, people aren't having a YouTube channel. I'm like, uh, you have a prime thing where you could be showing up in search results on YouTube, helpful videos, you walk through videos, you know, how to videos, just anything like that. Um, make make hay with that dude go go get yourself on youtube
0: oh it's uh well you're you're preaching to the choir here preach so let's uh, so we'll have links to all of these stories including this pew research uh story which i know that you want to take a look at they will be in the show notes which will be at uh dot com slash 64 gray com slash 64Grey. That's spelled the Canadian way, G-R-E-Y. <laughs>
1: That's the only right way, I think. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so what's your next story?
1: All right, so- it is again about Facebook, but it incorporates something we've talked about a lot recently, which is um, audio social, social audio uh, clubhouse and Twitter space and things like that. Um, So Facebook's R and D group, it has come out with this product called hotline and you can actually go to it. It's at hotline.co. And it's a mashup of Instagram live and clubhouse. Now I did visit this site and like even tried to like go um, create my own hotline event and they, were like well we're in waiting list beta we'll let you know and i never heard back so they're still developing this it looks like but it's a web-based application and it basically allows creators to speak to an audience who can then ask questions through text or audio um now i would love to hear your because i've not been in clubhouse and i know i've been in spaces you can only ask a question really through um being a- allowed to speak by the host right or you unless un- uh, unless the phone.
0: host is doing a uh has a parallel Twitter chat or something, some other social thing, which is MacGyvering their own system.
1: Exactly. But now, unlike Clubhouse or Twitter Spaces, in um, Hotline, creators can opt to turn their cameras on for the event instead of being audio only. So it adds that, and we talked about this too, it will record, has an option to record and save uh, whatever that event is. So it sounds like, you know, we all knew they were going to try to, I think they tried to buy Clubhouse. I'm not sure, but they're going to copy it for sure. But now they're saying, well, let's let's nuance it a bit and make it a little more video friendly. And as we talked about, the all-important uh, ability to record so you can repurpose later. So um, that's interesting uh, development coming. And how way. is
0: this different than a live stream?
1: Um, I think it's because you have the option to just be audio, but maybe you can orchestrate the event somehow to where, hey, and now here, you know, get everybody in there because at the end, I'm going to go on video or something like that. I don't know. I mean, just some different ways where you have the options to do that and it's not video dependent, but you can go that way.
0: I'm becoming so curmudgeonly. It's just, (laughs) it's just like, I look at this and I go, come on, you know, you can do better. You can Mm -hmm. do better. This sounds to me like it's just, we're just, we're just slapping a new name on an old thing right now.
1: Yes, exactly. But at least it doesn't rhyme with Clubhouse.
0: And you know something in Clubhouse is already starting to drift into the background. It's already starting to, you know, it, the, the the bloom is off the rose, and it's uh, you now there are people that are using it. The People are going to, yeah. some people listening to this right now are going to say, "Steve, you don't know what you're talking about." It's still vital, but it's but the people that are in it are in it now, and it's kind of chugging along, and it's still disappointing so many people because, for example, you you can't uh, participate.
1: Yet. I still can't get in. Thanks yep. a lot.
0: So they're so they got a ways to go. All right, my final story today is one that. It plants a real seed of fear deep in my belly. Mm-mm. Maybe it's because uh, I, I watched all of the Terminator movies and Skynet scares the crap out of me. As it should. But the European Union is considering a European ban on certain forms of AI, of artificial intelligence. Okay. Uh, there's a great quote that comes out of the this political uh, political article on it, which is Salesforce's uh, CEO Ali Afshar, uh, Afshar saying, "In the last 20 years, software ate the world. In the next 20 years, AI is going to eat software." Mm. And so the EU is basically considering a partial ban on uh, AI that they've announced in, uh, on April 21st. Uh, but effectively, they are going to focus on what they call high-risk AI systems. Uh, and they, the high-risk means that it's things like mass surveillance, mm-hmm. uh, things that monitor your social credit score. Your credit, and things around safety and privacy. Any AI which is trying to get into those spaces, they are considering banning. They are leaving the door open for AI like manufacturing energy, those sorts of things. They're still good to go. But okay. primarily we're seeing on uh, surveillance bans. you know, on systems that will automatically determine where you are. Mm -hmm. And this is a real backlash to, uh, and and we're starting to hear, I think this is, this is a story that is going to have legs in a lot of different ways. One of the things that we in the West are so critical of China about right now is their social credit system Mm -hmm. where you have these, where based on your, based on what they measure you to be doing, you have a certain amount of credit and it's like a value to your society based on a a numerical score. And we find that abhorrent. For the most part, I'm. I don't know if you do, but I personally I do. find that abhorrent. I'm kind of
1: like grossed out by it.
0: And a lot of people are now very afraid that the, with the vaccine being ubiquitous, that the vaccine passport is the first step towards uh-huh. the social uh, social credit system. And now I'm. I, I I hope that I'm not delving into the murky waters of conspiracy because anybody who listens to our podcast knows this is not my thing. Nope. Uh, but. There are concerns, but when I, when we do, there are legitimate concerns about how the information is going to be used. And if we don't have, if we don't discuss it, obviously we'll, it'll be, it'll, will blindside us. But when we see this, you know, those sorts of, uh, those sorts of now um, enabling technologies coming into place that could start a system like that. Recognizing that some of the legislative branches now are saying, "Well, let's make sure that we don't that we that we make sure that there's no way for people to establish these social so, social credit scoring systems," then uh, artificially, yeah. Then uh, then then that's a you know that's something that that uh, that I I'm encouraged that the EU is doing it, but I realize just what a quagmire it's going to be. I mean, we use social scoring in in, yeah. in, in on our CRM. You know, depending on how many emails you open from us. Mm -hmm. Uh, we, we assign a customer value to people. Now that's not nefarious. It's, 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 it's marketing. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't take. But it doesn't take uh, you know a rocket scientist to recognize that that same sort of system can move into far more nefarious spaces.
1: Oh, absolutely. I it feels like the EU has recently watched the Terminator series, maybe, and they're like, <laughs> you know, we're we know we know about Skynet. and We know that that's it may have been science fiction back then. No, it's it's not fiction, and it can totally go that way. And I, I like you, I appreciate and, and look, I. I'm a huge fan of, you know, freedoms and, you know, personal rights and, you know, and things like that and and innovation and things like that. But but you're right there. There is that line where someone has probably at least some ones have thought about how they can. Uh, monetize, they can exploit that kind of information for nefarious means. And Mm -hmm. and like we were even just talking about, even if you do it with the best of intentions, it can can totally go go sideways. And AI is ripe for that.
0: We know that it can go horribly wrong. The one other thing that I will point out that I like about this particular set of regulations they are looking at putting into place is similar to what we found very irritating online with the cookies and tracking and, and mm. the the permission on every website the notification that you are being tracked yeah they want to have ai notifications that will be sent to people that when they're interacting with AI systems
2: and i think that's so i like fine. i
0: like what that means that means that me you too. know that you're dealing with a, with with a machine and and recognizing it one of the things that drives me crazy about bots on the website is is they try and fool whether or not you're dealing with a person or a machine mm-hmm. i want to know I want to know, and I think we should always know.
1: I agree. I And look, I even you brought up that that little pop-up about cookies that you see just on pretty much every website nowadays. I, I just come to accept that. I'm like, I, OK, so you're complying with GDPR. You're making sure I'm aware. I think people should be more aware of when you're going out. You know, we've talked about like there's that there's new browsers that are coming out that are really going to guarantee that you're not getting tracked. And there are even extensions you can put on any browser right now that will help you and tell you what's getting tracked by you, you know, of you on this website you're visiting uh, awareness is key the more you mm-hmm. know you know it then you can at least kind of try to at least be knowledgeable to say i know this is happening decide if you're okay with it you know and and decide you know make decisions thereafter saying how am i going to interact with the world around me
0: and if you want to learn a little bit more about it then with a lot more nudity then i <laughs> encourage you to watch westworld the tv series Westworld. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Which well, with, with, with a lot of nudity, we'll, we'll, we'll cover the entire topic and make you and oh my oh my gosh, oh my Everybody's gosh. Everybody's going oh to gosh.
1: click over right now. They're like, oh, wow, well, right after I listen to this podcast, I'm going to go try it.
0: Speaking of, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, uh, waiting in the wings, we have Vicky McLeod. I want to get into a conversation with Vicky. We're going to be talking about writing today. So stick around and we will be back with Vicki McLeod and more today on Gray Matters. Do you need a little more Steve time? I get it, and I have something for you. Do you know that we host a free live training almost every week? This is a fact. Most weeks we host a free tutorial webinar covering productivity, content creation, and online marketing. It is called Webinar Wednesday, and you can find out about this week's webinar by visiting dototech.com slash webinar Wednesday, or check out the links in the show notes. You know, Webinar Wednesday has become an online institution. I've hosted over 160 of them and we are still going strong. I know, it almost sounds too good to be true. Free training every week and a chance to learn more about productivity, content creation or online marketing and more, Steve, pinch me, I'm in a little bit of heaven. The links are in the description or visit dototechcom slash Webinar Wednesday. You are in for a treat, as I am going to have an interview in just a few moments with my good friend, Vicky McLeod. Now, I met Vicky at a social media event maybe eight or nine years ago. And when I met Vicky, she was working her own communications company, helping executives become more effective communicators, always a strong communicator. Vicki had a plan. And the plan was not to continue just doing the same old, same old as she reached the age of 60, but she had an entirely new career in mind and new goals. Vicki wanted to be an author, and she wanted to write. She loved writing. She had a passion for writing, and she would promised herself that once she was 60 years old, she would start to write books, and indeed, she has. She has followed up on that promise. Her latest book is Effective Communication at Work, but it's it's it follows the successful you in the Internet of Things, the Digital Legacy Plan that she wrote with another friend of ours Angela Crocker a great book for people for all of us to consider our digital legacy what do we do with all of our accounts and all of our online self The Digital Legacy Plan followed Vicky's first book which is called Untrending so I guess you can now not just call her an author but call her an accomplished author with an entire stable of books to her name I love to talk to Vicki about the art of writing, the process of writing, because in the, my conversations with her, even though I'm not a good writer, it makes me want to be one.
2: You know, Steve, I had always wanted to write a book. Like I've been a writer almost since I can remember, you know, I have that typical writer's story of being in grade two and having the teacher pick my story to be on display and realizing that, you know, words had this power. And um, so I've always written. And then when I sort of, after a few, you know, different kinds of career starts, all of them involving, interestingly, writing in some way, I decided to start my own business. And I started a communications company really as a way to make money writing, Mm -hmm. you know, so I'd always had it. But an interesting thing is, is that, and I taught writing workshops and classes, creative writing workshops and classes, did all kinds of things like that in the early years, and I would always say to people, I know I have a book in me, but I'm not writing it until I'm 60.
0: <laughs> and you did that. You Which post. was
2: really, because I had to yeah. let myself off the hook because I kept feeling like I've got to write this book, I've got to write this book. But meanwhile, I'm making a living, putting food on the table, trying to establish myself in, you know, a field largely dominated by men. And so, you know, I realized I was putting all this pressure. So I thought, and I'm taking the pressure off. I'm going to do a book in my lifetime, but it'll be, I'm I'm going to do it after I'm 60 and uh, i did it just before actually oh. <laughs> i didn't turn 28 yeah. so
0: you've a lifelong writer so you've had a p- passion for it and a belief in it i wonder it, you yeah. know like i don't personally i don't feel like i'm a great writer but i but we're both good communicators when you have something important yeah. to convey do you feel more comfortable sitting down and saying it or do you feel more comfortable being able to compose it as a written missive?
2: It depends on the nature of the communication, but for sure, I find writing really clarifying. So if I'm dealing with even a personal, so I had a personal problem this week, I woke up, like typically you do like 4.30 in the morning, this problem won't go away. It's about another human. So I just got up and I flipped on my light and grabbed my notebook and I thought I'm going to write about what's bothering me, you know, so now I'm probably never going to go talk to this human about it, because I wrote it out. And I kind of saw my part. And I thought, yeah, this is just the same old trigger that I have that comes up in these circumstances. And it's about me, not them, you know, all that sort of self aware stuff. But the writing really was the vehicle that took me there. But if I had wanted to further the conversation, because personal stuff like that, probably I just talked to the person. I wouldn't send you an email about a personal issue with you. I would say, hey, Steve, we need to talk. But I might sit down and like use journaling or use another technique to clarify. And certainly for professional communication, I love putting it in writing. In fact, I tell people when I work with corporate clients, even coaching clients, I'll say, like, if it's not in writing, it doesn't exist. You're saying you've got this principle in your business. If it's not written down somewhere and your people can't see it, it doesn't, it's not real. It doesn't exist.
0: I'm kind of jealous of, of good writers because not only do they get all of the clarity of communication. And there's, I mean, obviously there's nuance, but it can be returned to and, and seen in its exact form again, which is, which is awesome. But there's also a bit of a cathartic bent to it, which is what you were just talking about. You, that when, when I, you feel better, like if, if I, I don't know if I feel better if, if I do a verbal rant for a podcast, if I feel better afterward, as much as a person who's written it down and gone through that experience.
2: Yeah, I think, yeah, there's, it's definitely cathartic. And I have found it's a process of discovery as well. And very often, you know, I write, you know, nearly everything I write, I use almost a free writing technique to start it out, you know, which is one of the techniques that people learn in writing workshops. I teach it, lots of people teach it, um, sort of stream of consciousness. And I'll just hit the topic and say, okay, I want to write about, you know, Steve's beard, maybe that's my subject. And I don't know where it's going to take me. I might end up writing about my grandfather's beard or I might end up writing about, you know, trends in facial hair, but I kind of trust that if I just get something down, there's going to be some, some nugget is going to emerge, you know? So you
0: literally spray and then clean it up.
2: Yeah, pretty much. I you know not all. I mean, I've been writing for a long time, so it's like any muscle, you exercise it and you get better yeah. at using it. Yeah. So if you told me today I need 500 words from you on X, I could probably give you those words by the end of the day. I'd want a little bit more time so that I could polish it up. I, I say to people, you know, writing like uh, only about 30% of writing is inventing. Mm-hmm. The rest of it is revising, you know, is like drafting and revising and polishing. I would divide it in three parts: inventing it, revising it and then editing it, which is a different, you know, revising and editing are not quite the same.
0: And it always doesn't have to be done by the same person either.
2: No, I mean, I would say the writing and revising or the inventing and revising, certainly by the, the primary writer, but then the editing, you know, get yourself, I, I am one of those rare writers also. I love being edited. I don't always love the changes the editor wants me to make and I will absolutely negotiate, but I, I, it always makes the writing better. It always makes I get it, that. Yeah. Yeah,
0: I get that because I can't tell you how often when I used to do my TV show, I would go away from a recording session thinking that I kind of, I kind of did okay, but I didn't nail it. And then months later, when I watch it on television, I would see that the editor had made me seem really intelligent and it's so much better than I remembered it. And it's not due to what I said, it was due to the editing.
2: And the, the thing that I have found over the years, almost universally is it's about what you take away. So that's why this idea of sort of spraying or inventing or like just allowing yourself the freedom of the page is because you're going to be taking away anyway. And it is way easier to cut than compose. (laughs) Like it is Mm -hmm. just so much easier to have a whole bunch of words and then start taking words away than to say, there's not enough here. You need to invent more. So I find that, you know, that method just works really well for me. And I might write, you know, do a free writing that's three or four pages long and I out of it get a paragraph. But if that paragraph Mm. is my lead, if that paragraph is the piece of gold I was looking for, then it's well worth that. 10, 15 minutes it took me to sit down and just free write.
0: I'm super jealous of good writers. That's, it's the one skill that I'm constantly green with envy over because I, you know, certainly as an online entrepreneur, so much of what we do, even though we live now in a dynamic media world where obviously we're doing a podcast right now, I have the YouTube channel, all of those things happen but business gets done ultimately because of what's written down on a web page somewhere or an order form an or an email that's it's still it's still the payoff it's
2: the foundational skill it's the foundational skill, I think. Um, and that's not just because I'm a writer. I'm not saying that like if I was a tractor driver, I'd be saying everybody should drive a tractor. I think it's foundational because in the digital age, we communicate and the tool, the very unit of communication in the digital age is the text, it's the word. So this is why writing and composition are so, they're more vital than ever and uh, in, our, in this time, I think, because, and the amounts of content that we're creating online and that that content has to land it has to be persuasive it has to connect with people there's so much work that these words have to do so wow. i really firmly believe that it's a foundational skill and i'm happy to say that one of my books effective communication at work is being taught now in one of in a college in the united states to introductory communications classes for the communications degree because it's about writing and speaking well
0: <laughs> and you know i i often feel guilty when we when i coach people or when we talk about different ways of building an online business I I'm a big believer in letting the singer sing and the dancers dance. So I'm happy to outsource a lot of different, a lot of different aspects and I feel comfortable outsourcing graphics. I feel comfortable outsourcing editing. I feel comfortable outsourcing all sorts of pieces. And I do outsource my writing to a certain extent. But there's always a little voice in the back of my head saying, "You should be doing this yourself, mm-hmm. Steve. You Should be doing this yourself." I uh, and I don't know whether that's my 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 guilt gene from being a Catholic raised yeah, <laughs> baby yeah. boomer because we've got because baby boomers and Catholics have this incredible capacity to mm-hmm. feel guilt when we don't deserve to feel guilt. Mm-hmm. But I also I also think that it's just it's so core and central to the. To the final moment in a deal, in a purchase, in in a person deciding to follow you to sign up for the webinar, to whatever it is, it's that written word, and it's so germane, it's so important, mm-hmm. and I just I just feel that we're, that I'm taking a chance by yeah. not.
2: And what do you feel about. is at risk? I'm just curious to know. Like, what do you feel is at risk when you're saying that that's the one area that you don't feel secure about outsourcing? Be-
0: because there's so much behind every every piece of content that we create that's in my head and I want people to, I want to unlock it. And I typically unlock that content in the video, in the podcast, Yeah. but uh, making, creating enough compelling reason for them to sign up to purchase Um, through the written word. I I just don't feel that uh, I don't feel that sometimes I'm doing justice to the work that's sitting behind.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Cause like you kind of know what that is and there's a way, like I believe one of the things that, that good writers do is we kind of bring our whole selves to the page like we don't sort of leave mm. anything behind, so there's this way that you know you, in, writing is very active in a sense. You know you have to really bring yourself present, and it's hard, I think, to get someone else to to really uh, be able to capture a your voice and b your intent and all of the things that you bring as a writer to the page. That's why I was curious about what your you know what your particular reluctance was in that yeah. one area. Of course, and there's a lot writing on it when it's your business because this is the these are this is the persuasive language, you know, and and. I think we talked a little bit when we were setting up the interview, Steve. About you know, sort of um, Aristotle and the art of rhetoric. You know, talked about it was really about how to persuade. Right, the art of mm-hmm. rhetoric is how to persuade, and so and writing and communication is based on these principles that are ancient Greek principles, essentially. So it's,
0: it's it's understanding objections and overcoming objections and all and, of those and, and, and using techniques. and
2: using ways that connect with people. That the way that understanding the way that people receive information. So that they can um, make make a choice, right? So that they can actually be making a choice, and so and we talked about the rule of threes is one of those rules, right? And we use that in yeah. comedy. We use that in other ways. So it's a very powerful, uh, you know, this 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 the art of persuasion is very powerful. But it's an ancient part of communication. So it's not, I always like to get away from the transactional and the tactical. You know, as you know, one of my big objections to a lot of what happens online is that it's so much about selling and so little about relationship building. Done poorly, Mm -hmm. done well, it's about relationship building. And how do you establish that? But really, the way we communicate is about that very thing. It's about establishing relationship, about Mm -hmm. establishing communication channels.
0: Well, and that was, what was the genesis of me inviting you on the podcast is we had a conversation. I kind of, it was back at the beginning of the year, middle of the pandemic. Um, and I'm just kicking around different ideas and I'm, everybody's told me since day one, Steve, you should write a book and mm-hmm. I'm thinking, well, maybe I should write a book. So the, so I turned to the one person I know who successfully manages to write book after book, after book, which is you. And the reason that I wanted to talk to you is I know that for most, for all of the people listening to this podcast who are not good writers, I believe one of the biggest issues, or find writing challenging, I won't say good, I won't put a value Mm -hmm. on it, but say find it challenging, is one of the things is is we we don't look at it in pieces. When I look at producing a video, I understand the steps and the milestones along the way, and it's a process. And I know what my job is in each step of the process. Consequently, producing a video is child's play for me writing, I don't see the process. Yeah. And consequently, I'm looking at trying to build the whole thing at once. And it, it, that's why it's a daunting task. But in talking to you, you made it sound so reasonable breaking it down into the, this rule of threes. Mm-hmm. So share that uh, well, philosophy.
2: Okay, I will. I will. And so it's, it's, it's sort of multi, a multi-layered rule in a way, and it applies to lots of things, as I said. But you know, one of the things I said earlier, which is to realize that there's three stages to writing. There's inventing, revising, and, and editing. So inventing, drafting, editing. So separate them out. Like when you're inventing, invent. Like don't be trying to revise, you know, redraft and edit while you're trying to create. So really separate out the creating and the editing. And know there's a place where when you're creating, it doesn't look or feel anything like the book, chapter, paragraph that you're trying to make. It's like, and this is an ancient, oh, you're not ancient, but very old example, but it's like baking a cake. You know, if you showed someone a picture of a birthday cake and then you start making one and you're breaking eggs and you're mixing batter and you're spilling things all over the kitchen counter, that looks nothing like the picture of the birthday cake. But that's the creative process. The creative process is breaking those eggs, mixing that milk, adding that flour, adding a little of this and a little of that, spicing it up. Then you pop it in the oven and you let it bake. You know, mm-hmm. and then at, when you take it out, then you ice it up. So if you look at the baking as maybe the revising process, and then you take it out, you ice it up, you add the decorations, you add the flowers, whatever you're going to do, that's your editing, that's your final polishing, right? So, and in that messy part, there is a way it feels messy. So there's always a place. I have experienced this also in in um our in fine arts. It always feel, but it always feels messy, and like it's never going to come together, and it's never going to be anything but that's why we have the stages. So that's one of the threes. But then the other thing is especially for people this was really relevant for people who are trying on a bigger project. It works for smaller smaller pieces too. But is the, the looking at finding like three things you want to talk about. Like what are your three main points? I use this for people with public speaking, with writing proposals, three things. F- those are your three themes. Call them themes if you want to. So what are three things that Steve Dotto always talks about? You know? Mm-hmm. Then you have those three things. And then underneath those, you have topics. So under topics, so Steve always talks about technology. So under technology, theme one, we have, what are the topics of technology? And we get three of those, right? And then under those three, we say, what are three subtopics? So say we have technology, and then maybe we have digital communication as subtopic. And then under digital communication, we have texting, emailing, and uh, videos. So now, right now, but now what you have is you have nine things to write about. Just on that that's just coming from one of your top three themes. You do that with each one. you build out your threes, so three themes, three topics under the th- under each theme, three subtopics. and by the time you're d- that just that simple map and you can keep going with this infinitely, keep you know yeah. dividing into threes. but you what you have is a map that's already 12. So if you were going to do like a monthly blog post, you already have a blog a month right there just in doing that one simple map. If you that, want to do a, a weekly one, then you're going to divide your 12s by fours and away you go. You've got, yeah. so, and it's so that's meaningful. a book. So you think, okay, my book is going to be, you know, My Life in Technology by Steve Dotto. You know, then you say, okay, what are the three main themes of this book? And you might find like, I use sticky notes. I like really physical, you know, uh, I like to see things visually. You might find you add a fourth one here and there, or you might find that there's something that, you know, is emerges as like yeah. a theme. That's fine because we're inventing. We're inventing within the Some people get
0: stuck and they can't get, they they, they, they they become so anal, they have to have their three, and it has to always be.
2: Yeah, you can. You know, my. Yeah, I, I think I would, that, that would I would be that person. I would be that person. So, the, I yeah. guess, you know, kind of um, how I would want to help you with that a bit, I guess, would be just to say that often that's an edge. That's often just an edge that's showing up where it's a bit of resistance. A little yeah. bit of, if I, if I don't do this perfectly, I can't do this. And the thing, the great yeah. thing about why I love sticky notes is, you know, you could just That's throw aggressive. one in the garbage, <laughs> yeah. just throw it in okay. the garbage if you don't like that one, or add another one if you think there's two things there, or it belongs in two places. Like, oh, that yeah. belongs in the technology theme, and it also belongs in the baby boomer theme, say, picking some of yours, then put it in two places with a sticky note. And when you get writing, it'll start to sort itself out, but people... I find a lot of people, and I'm one of them actually, I need some structure when I start out in a project. I love inventing. I love the messy part. And I can just sit down, you give me a topic, I'll sit down and write for 10 minutes and give you something. But if I'm doing a project, if it's going to be a book or it's going to be an article for publication, I like a bit of structure. And this yeah. of well, these thing kind of gives you that structure and it gives you something you can actually pull out and say, what am I writing about this week? Oh, yeah, I'm going to pick that sticky. It's in And it's in my wheelhouse. I've defined my...
0: It's the difference between being a tradesman or a craftsman and being an artist, you know, that's the way that I look at it for producing video. is I tell people, if you're going to produce a video, if you're going to produce podcasts, you have to have a format that you work to. So you know where you are in the process. Cause if you don't have a format that you can reproduce each time, every piece of content you create is art and art is hard. Mm-hmm. Whereas production work is while not easy is doable.
2: Yeah, it's wonderful. You know, I'm, I've been working with Natalie Goldberg, who's an amazing writing teacher, and anyone who's interested in writing, I think would do well to pick up her books, um, Writing Down the Bones and Wild Mind, or two of her early books. They came out in like the 80s and 90s. Um, but you know, she's having us study a book right now. And you know what she had us do in one of the classes was actually just pick up the physical book and say, okay, let's study this book. And so we're all ready to talk about, you know, what the language meant to us and how revealing the author was. And what she said is, so what do you see? What, what's the spine? Can anyone tell me where the spine is on the book? And she had us really look at like, what is the structure? How is a book put together? What's on the first page? What is what, What's the Where's the title page? Where's the publishing information? You might want that information if the publisher is going to be similar to something you might want to publish. So she really like got us into this like very basic... But what she's trying to teach us about is structure that you, you know, you can have this wild place that you, and I call it like wild writing. It's like the wild swimming, you know, you just get out there and you do it, but you also have to have gear, you know, you have to have structure, you have to know where you're going. So, you know, a book is not a podcast, is not a magazine article, is not, a, you know, a memoir, is not a piece of fiction. Like there's, a, you know, structures that matter. So mm-hmm. you want to and there's similarities.
0: There's there's things that all of those different formats have in common, but there's the differences is, is what makes you successful in producing them or not. Right,
2: obviously. and then it also helps you to sort that structure out because that's where you can feel when you said you know feel it can feel really overwhelming. You know, yeah. you're writing a book like it's a video. You know how to break it down, but a book you don't know how to break it down. So this is just like okay, let's start breaking it down. You know, a book is one word after another.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> and look at things with fresh eyes, as you just said. It makes me think and wonder about the actual physical process that you're involved Because in. so You said you like to use sticky notes. Mm-hmm. And we used to do that all the time in the television show was we used index cards. Mm-hmm. And I had the wall of our production office lined with cork boards. We had, I think, nine, you know, big full-size cork boards that surrounded the entire wall space of our office. And then we taped off each project, each, each episode. And there was all these index cards in it. It took up a tremendous amount of physical space, Mm -hmm. but boy, did it give me clarity. And I would just, I oftentimes, you know, people would come in in the morning and I'd be sitting, have been sitting there for two hours, just staring at the board and then picking up and moving one piece to another. Do you use that physical space
2: for yeah, writing? I do, I do, and it, it, on bigger projects especially. I don't really need it for smaller projects now. Although I'm in one right now that's really taken a big turn. The project has just changed the structure uh, dramatically. And what I did in, in changing that structure was I got everything I had written and I got it all out on the floor. I laid out, printed everything off, and then started cutting it with scissors <laughs> and getting. I started moving around parts of the project to try to see where things fit because I was trying to deal with. I was trying to deal with a very linear linear structure and it wasn't working like before the middle, the end. And so I just moved, started, you know, getting everything out physically, everything I had. I had records and documents and research. And um, so I can do that like on the floor, but the, you know, you have to have some space. I used to have a huge office. Now my space is quite a bit smaller. So I just use a-, I yeah.
0: just use a Well, that's what I was wondering. So many of us now live in a small space now.
2: Yeah, I, I still use the sticky note thing because I love them. I just use the smaller sticky notes and a smaller Sharpie. And I use, I just have a flip chart stand, you know, those sticky flip chart stand papers, and I can put the paper up on the wall, or I can just leave the stand up and move the stand around if I need it out of my way. Um, and there are online, um, you know, various have you tried kinds the of
0: online things. ones. Have you tried the the digital yeah,
2: ones? Yeah, the one I like the best, and I haven't tried them all. So I'm sure someone will come up with a whole list from you that in the comments later. Um, but I like Trello.
0: The, Trello. Well, Trello's Kanban, and it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah, but because it's it's got that metaphor of moving stuff from columns and having...
2: Yeah, big- and you can move things from here to there and you can, you know, but I do find because I like the physical, I like the sticky note part of it. And then what I do is I like to get, once I kind of get the sticky notes roughly where I want them, this is when I'm working on an outline, for example, for a bigger project, I then like to put it in and I do use Microsoft Word because it has a really nice uh, review feature where you can set it up so that you're seeing the outline. Mm-hmm. And then I set up all the headings. So as I'm moving back and forth between the document, I can easily just go to a heading and think, "Oh yeah, this idea is going to fit under technology, digital communication."
0: There. So you use the tools built into the word processor. You start with an outline. So you actually work in outline mode to get your your points, and then you start filling in those outlines. So you can always sort, in, and you can jump within sections within your document just by clicking on the chapter heads. And even Google Docs has that. Google Docs has, you know, your major head, subheads.
2: Yes, heads. Google Docs too. I mainly use Word partly because the two of the publishers that I've worked with required the final drafts in Ver, in Word. Yeah. That, that was their requirement. They didn't. But when I co-wrote the book, I co-wrote with Angela with Angela Crocker, who you know, um, we used Google Docs for the entire book. Okay. Because we were co-writing. And, you, and, you and we just wrote back and forth and used those same features. So whatever works, it's kind of what works for you in a sense, in terms of your online preference. It's like any craftsperson to use your example. I have you know, I have a certain kind of pen I use for writing, you know, like it's I have my tools, <laughs> my certain specific. So for me, I like Word. I'm really familiar with it. It's easy and quick for me. I can use Google Docs and will if that's required. You know, you just, I'm I'm at a stage where I know what works for me and I probably could make it more efficient, but I don't, I'll start with the sticky notes, go to the notebook, go from the notebook to the computer.
0: But here's you know. the thing. Here's the, here's the takeaway that I get from this, you know, as the technology guy is a person who likes the analog world. I know you journal. I know you like that, your paper, Mm -hmm. you like your pen, you like your, like your books, and you do a lot of your planning work there. But when you do use the digital tool, you don't just use it on the surface. You use the tool. You're taking advantage of the organization and the structural elements within it. And that, that appeals, you know, for me, sometimes, I don't know if you find this, but for me, sometimes when I, I can see how using the tool when you're going through a bit of writer's block just organizing things and you know cleaning things up uh, sometimes breaks the log jam
2: totally i just, that's a beautiful tip steve that's i would have i wish i would have thought of giving that one no it's awesome i find like and this is so some people like to write 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 and then go in and revise and I tend to be more of a tinkerer, like I'll write. And then the next day when I sit down, instead of just starting where I left off and free writing, I'll go back and start to tinker.
0: Now, do you do that because you get a sense of satisfaction because you see some quality happening?
2: I get, th- I do that for that reason and wanting to kind of, you know, revisit the thread, but also because it's that what that place that you're talking about where it kind of breaks the log jam. I'm kind of in it. I'm not like, I haven't, d- I haven't diven, I was going to say, I haven't dived in, but I'm like. I'm looking at the words and starting my background processor is starting to work. So that same thing that you're talking about when you get in the tool and maybe you just start running a spell check through your document. Yeah. And then you start to think about what you were writing about and then that triggers another. So it's kind of like, you know, to me, writing is this beautiful investigation of the mind. Like how does your mind work? you have to learn to follow your mind and your mind and my mind do not work the same. There's some things that will, that I do that will work really well maybe for you. And some things that, that I do that would never work for you. But once you start paying attention to your mind and you're like, Oh yeah, I like that when I'm in a tool, a digital tool and I'm monkeying around with what's there, I start to get ideas, then do that. And mm-hmm. someone might say, well, don't do that. Just write, 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 and then revise in a separate thing. Well, for you, it might work. So for me, that's why the tinkering part works. So I can, write 500 words and then go back and spend half a day on one of the paragraphs within that 500 words, because I'm tinkering, you know, until I get the next 500 words.
0: To, 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 start this year off, we did a series of webinars on a webinar Wednesday, which were all about increasing our productivity. And I wasn't teaching, um, I wasn't teaching tools per se, as I was teaching kind of philosophies. And the whole idea was, uh, that I kind of took away from the first three months was how important flow state is you know, how important getting in and, and the, the, the kind of epiphany for me was I, I started it out with the goal of getting more done, taking advantage of the, you know, the fact that we're trapped with this pandemic and all of these things. So let's do something positive in the first quarter. Let's get more productive. And my, the, my goal through the whole thing was let's get more done. I don't know where this light switch flipped, but partway through it, I recognize that when I am working in the flow state, that, 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 okay point of intense concentration when, you know, the world kind of gets small around you and you just stay, you know, the, the topic gets large in front of you. When I was there, I realized I don't just get more done, but the work I do is better work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so it, it becomes even more relevant. So that, that's a long way to ask the question is, I know you're fairly disciplined with your schedule. Do you find it easy to get into that point of concentration where you're in flow and how long do you stay there and what are your techniques to get there? There there, are all those questions.
2: Yeah, I love it. I love it that you brought that because to me, and I've said this for years, there's two things that you need to be able to write, and those are discipline and focus. And what we know about our world is it is harder than ever to have focus. Right? There are so many. The world is so distractible. And you know, discipline to me, discipline is like just getting my bum in the chair. And I know that that sounds really corny, but it's it's like scheduling in the time for writing the same way you would schedule in your doctor appointment, and you don't miss it. And if you sit there and you get two words out and that's all that happens and you just can't, that's fine. You've got the discipline of sitting in the chair because what you're doing is you're kind of reassuring the part of you that wants to write that you're going to show up. And I wish I could remember, there was a, a, it was a quite well-known Canadian writer who said this on a radio interview one time, and I never can remember who the writer was, but they were asked the question, do you write every day or do you write when inspiration strikes you? And the writer responded, I write every day so that when inspiration strikes me, I'm ready. and I've always held to that like yes I'll sit here and even though I might feel like I'm coming out with the worst junk in the universe I'm here and when that moment happens when the inspiration strikes and the blog jam opens I'm there I'm sitting at my desk and I'm not and so the big thing is to manage the distractions and to make it like make it like a doctor's appointment and then you know I don't turn off my phone but I turn over my phone (laughs) so I don't see anything coming in and i actually missed a couple of really great things and i have a couple of new people i've met since i've moved to vancouver island and they said oh we were really surprised we didn't hear back from you and i said you know what i was writing that morning yeah and i don't answer my texts like i don't i was off my phone and i was in it i was in the zone and i was just allowing it so it's and the other thing is to start to get to know yourself so that you know like i know i have a kind of sweet spot for writing like Mm -hmm. i don't write at night yeah. So it doesn't work. For me. So yeah, I'll finish that chapter tonight unless I'm on like extreme deadline. I I don't write at night. I don't have it. I'm much better. I leave, and I need about two hours, two hours to get into the mode of writing in the morning. Okay. A <laughs> it's a long so time. It's a long time to move around. Finish, to finish,
0: or two hours before you feel you're in the in the flow. Before I, before
2: I feel I'm in the zone.
0: So you so so do you spend four hours writing then so that you get two hours of good writing? I can,
2: yeah, if I get, yeah, I can, and I'll you I know mean, I'll stop and eat. And I'll usually I often bring something to my desk to eat if I'm really in it. If it's if it's good, but if I have two hours of good writing, I can. Anyone could get a lot done well, with two hours of good writing time. Get in,
1: if you with get two into hours of distracted
2: hours. time on, you name it, gardening, <laughs> you know, cleaning your inbox, you name it. Do you give it two hours? You're going to get a lot done. Yeah yeah you know so but it's really but it's about setting up so I have that routine like I get up in the morning I make my tea some days I go swimming but that's you know a different day Um, but I get up I have my tea I do some reading that's sort of semi-inspirational usually it's other writers about writing or it's a particular if I'm into a particular theme I'm reading on that theme or reading a writer who's written about that theme Julia Cameron has a wonderful process called morning pages and she her rule is you just get up and you write three pages in the morning no matter what all stream of consciousness the idea is just to clear it's to clear all the clutter from your brain, so that when you sit down, you're not thinking, "Oh, I needed to do that. I need to do that, and this is really bugging me. And why didn't I talk to that person about blah blah?" You've actually cleared the space, the mental and sort of psychic space Once to it's
0: enter. Down, you trust that, you. It, that it's done. You have the faith that it's, it's been. It's yeah, been it's with. like
2: yeah. it's at least somewhere, right? Yeah. And so, so I sort of do that kind of thing in the morning, and I won't usually book anything before eleven a.m because I like to at least try to get an hour of writing in before my kind of meeting day starts. And I try to schedule most of my meeting meetings for the afternoon, okay. um, later afternoon. So I have that time kind of from my, after my two hour working my way into the day, then I have that space until kind of after lunch.
0: I think that tells the story right there. You, When you're at your best, you're not giving that to anybody else, you're giving that to your no. writing.
2: That's right. That's a great way to put it, Steve. I may quote that sometime. Mm. Yeah, give that to your writing.
0: Are you a writer, Rachel?
1: I, I am. I, I, which is why I really loved this interview. Uh, oh my gosh, she, she, I just learned so much in just like just thirty minutes. <laughs> this is great. I love, I loved uh, her everything. There's, it's really nothing about your interview with her that I didn't like.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, Vicky's a good friend of mine, and she's, uh, she's, and I do admire her as a writer. She's. And she started, I I didn't put it in the interview, but she only wrote her first book just as she turned 60. She'd always wanted to, but she uh, had other priorities and now she's, uh, now she's deep and she's, and she's testing out all sorts of different spaces. But the reason that I really kind of wanted to make sure that we did this interview uh, on the podcast is as so many baby boomers are transitioning and so many Gen Xers are looking at that, um, writing is often in the back, back of a lot of people's minds. And first of all, I wanted to encourage people that if they want to, they can, Mm -hmm. but also to respect that, you know, that, you know, for those of us that don't, aren't great writers, that there's still always a chance for us to develop some of the chops, some of the skills. And I, I, I'm always, Vicky's always busted my chops trying to get me to do more. She wants me to write a book and all of that sort of, as, as many of my friends do. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just, I do find it too intimidating But the process that she goes through, especially that series of three things. What are the big three takeaways you want? Then let's break each of those three takeaways down into three more takeaways. And before you know it, you have an outline of a book. You know, you have your chapters and you have your sub-chapters and you have your, you know, min sections and, and you, and you've got, and looking at that tree, I'm a big fan of mind mapping. So it's Mm -hmm. very much like a mind map. Uh, But then you can see visually the information that you want to convey. And, uh, so those are all good techniques.
1: Yeah. I I have to say, and look, I am a writer. I write a lot and I, you know, I've been told I I write well. Um, but I, she was speaking my language and just so you know, I mean, even if you write well, we still get hung up on that where you want to create the masterpiece and you'll feel like, and I, I, you know, you have to do it from the beginning. And if it's not good the whole way through, it's not gonna be good. I really loved her analogy about baking a, a cake. Where mm. it's like, you know, and I bake, I do. So that was why it spoke to me. She spoke to my soul. But I was like, of course, it is like that. And just even hearing that analogy and the fact that she says, you know, with being able to invent and just free flow that, it doesn't have to be the perfect thing. As it's coming out of your pen or your pencil, or you're typing it, that you will always go back, and and that was a really good reminder for me, who does do writing.
0: Yeah, see, for me, making notes, you know, the putting the 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 pieces together of the baking is fine, mm-hmm. but the actual writing, and in in, I, I never mentioned this to her, but for a lot of us who aren't writers, yeah, writing has been a chore. And so consequently, we don't enter the process with the same joy as a person who likes it.
1: That's right. Like
0: I can sit down in front of a mic and I can sit in front of a mic with joy because I enjoy the, this process of having a conversation and recording of audio or video and then editing it in the production. I, this, this process, there's nothing, there's no barriers for entry for me. I don't, Mm -hmm. I don't go, geez, I got to sit down in front of the mic. I do say, oh, geez, I got to sit down in front of the keyboard. And I I want to flip the switch. I want to get away from that. And I think the only way, maybe, is by having success.
1: Well, and have you, Brian Fanzo once said something, this was a few years back, and it kind of put a light bulb on for me because I think we can get mired into thinking, oh, I've got to have a pen to paper or I've got to type it. And he did a thing where he was actually kind of doing, the, vo- you know, what you would, what you would feel comfortable doing where you, you're being on audio, being on a microphone, cause that's a natural state, but he was doing voice to text and, mm-hmm. you know, word will do that. Google docs will do that where you can just sit there and just start riffing, you know, and it, and not perfectly, you know, everybody's used to the, audio, the voice to text weirdness and autocorrect, but at least then you kind of get that free flow brain dump, you know, that you're doing via what is natural to the microphone, you might find that, oh my gosh, I just came up with some great stuff. And then it is about going back, like she had said, and revising and editing it, shaping it into what it can be. But maybe that's something, you know, people who aren't into the whole, let me use my fingers to do, you know, Mm -hmm. my, my writing. There are other ways. Thanks. Thanks. technology. and,
0: And here's the thing that I have a challenge with that. Is, is I've often, people have often told me that Steve, you, you don't have to write, you can sit down and you can talk, you can do that freeform stuff. And that's fine. I don't have an issue with the freeform stuff. the the, the thing that I respect about you or Vicky or people who write is the structure that they put in the process that they, they do. Mm-hmm. And so it's not necessarily the actual, once you're in the zone and, <clears throat> and you're actually writing something that you're, that, that you're comfortable conveying, it writes itself. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I. I, I say I'm not a writer, but for, you know, for 10 years, I wrote a newspaper column. I had to write, you know, between 500 and 700 words every week. And I had to write for a newspaper and I had an editor. So I guess I can do it, Yes, but it it is a chore, but the, but the fact, the, but, but the, but the crafting process is, is, is what's important there Mm -hmm. and the way that good writers Go through that process, and the discipline they have in following and trusting their process. I guess that's the that's the thing that I respect, and that's mm-hmm. the thing that I encourage, and that's the thing I wanted us to think about. Yeah, you know the the dictation side is is fine. It it helps for some things. But it doesn't end up creating. I, I don't think I'm ever going to write a book through dictation. I just don't see that happening.
1: Well, and and I will say one thing you said during that interview, which it sounds like she might be quoting you several times on some of her upcoming works, which was awesome. But you talked about the flow state. That is oh. so true. Uh, it's it's You get in that zone and you are just, you're creating and it's great. And there's, there's kind of no other feelings like that. So you were spot on with that. And you're right. I mean, if you can get into that state where you are just... It's happening, and and mm-hmm. it's great to be to find yourself in that place and build it for yourself if you can figure out what what works for you.
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, the uh, links to to Vicky's to all of Vicky's books and to a little bit more on Vicky are available in our show notes, which I imagine you are going to be writing and crafting in your in your eloquent form very yes, soon.
1: Yes, verily, I shall. I will go put on some nice background ambient music. I will get my little writing uh, gloves on, and I will verily, be typing I on. shall. Verily, yay, verily. Yes.
0: By the way, I, I didn't say this just just before we go on, I'm not going to let this go. This is the second week in a row you've mentioned Fanzo.
1: I, you know, I, it, I, I think is got, it really, I, think, I, I need to spread him, spread him out a little
0: yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm starting well, to get a little bit suspicious.
1: Well, he was talking, I mean, hey, I follow him on Facebook, but he was talking about, yeah, because it was NFTs or something and that got yeah. me into like crypto and then, but that one, yeah, the thing about dictating that just came before, but hey, he's got a new, he's an influencer. He yeah, influences me.
0: <laughs> okay, well, we'll have to have him on sometime. It'll be just, you'll be fangirling him.
1: I will be like, I oh, my god.
0: All right, so the show notes are available for this week's episode at DottoTech.com slash 64 Gray, DottoTech.com slash 64 Gray. And we look forward to your comments. If you drop by the website, uh, make sure that you drop us a note. You can always drop us a note at any time at podcasts at DottoTech.com. We'd love to hear more of what you think. would like to hear more of here on the big show. And that's it. Till next week. I'm Steve Dotto. Oh, Rachel. Thank you so much, Rachel.
1: -hmm. Thank you. I'm happy to be here.
0: (laughs) Until next week, have fun storming a castle.
1: You think it'll work? It would take a miracle. Bye!